Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious host, Scott Connor. You can find me on X at Charles Chill FFB. Check out everything going on at Destination Devi at www.destinationdevi.com. Join the Discord. You can join through the website or patreon.com backslash all gas and war games. Wanted to shout out Ray and I dropped the first episode of War Games. This past week, there's going to be many more episodes talking through the war tool. We're going to hit on all of the positions along with best ball versus lineup versus dynasty. So expect a lot more to come with war games. The initial plan is for them to air during the times when we have destination chill scheduled. So there will be a schedule that will be posted. You'll see more war games episodes coming out, but episode one aired this past week, you can find it on YouTube, on the Destination Devi YouTube channel. And we talked through just some of the basics of setting your league up and looking at it through the lens of the War Tool. So check out that War Game series that just kicked off. Again, you can find it on the YouTube channel. And of course, subscribe to the podcast feed. This one, along with the Wake Up with Ray G podcast feed, and then a third podcast feed that Ray just launched and it's essentially going to be covering the daily news episodes that Ray is dropping. So subscribe to all of those podcast feeds if you could, and then support all of the creators along the way on the feed. So with that, we are going to jump into part two of the Best Ball Roster Construction Series. I did part one last week talking about tight ends, and this week we are going to focus on the running back position. And... As everybody knows that listen to the lineup roster construction series, I'm using the same format for this 12 teams, super flex, start 11, 30 man rosters, 1.75 tight end premium. Everything else is standard. So if you create a new league on sleeper, you add in the 11 starters. So the default with sleeper is two receivers. You bump it up to three. The default with sleeper, is two flexes. You bump it up to three flexes. You adjust for the super flex spot, remove the kicker and defense, 
and you have 19 bench spots at the bottom, you now have the exact format that we are using for this series. Change the tight end premium to 0.75 added for tight ends, and boom, you've been able to mimic exactly what I am looking at for this series. And then I go through and I just look at the war. I look at the three-year average war, run the analysis, and try to figure out how to approach each position. At tight end, we started with the number five tight ends being the optimal number. I talked through on that episode where you can essentially kind of get away with maybe one less spot, or you could expand that to six. There's always a range. I get a ton of questions. People ask me, well, is that a steadfast number? You tell me that the number is X. What if I'm below X? More importantly, what if I'm above X? And I'll just say this again, and I've said it a couple times on this series, both the lineup series, and I believe even in the last episode I mentioned it. You can stray from roster construction. Roster construction is just a general plan of where you want to be at all times. But you can stray. And I know this is a little off topic for people that want to hear how to build running back rooms in best ball leagues. But regardless of the position, you can stray from the optimal roster construction. This is dynasty. Now, if you're roster constructing for a best ball tournament or something of that nature, it's a little different. But this is dynasty. We're talking dynasty roster construction in this format. You don't find a lot of best ball tournaments or redraft leagues that have these settings. 30-man rosters, right? So there's obviously a little flexibility here for the sake of the dynasty market. And I talk about some of this on my weekly series on YouTube, Dynasty Portfolio Weekly, where there can be some exceptions. Although I'm always going through and looking at my teams right now, this is what I do from January until we start to get movement in NFL free agency. As I go through and look at my teams, where is my roster construction? Where is the distribution of my assets? Am I holding too many quote-unquote roster cloggers? And roster cloggers can be really at any position, but largely you're going to find them at tight end and you're going to find them at wide receiver in lineup leagues. Now, best ball is different, obviously. But the general approach in these two months is, am I holding anything that's outside of my roster construction? And if I am, what can I do about it? But people ask all the time, am I allowed to stray? Am I allowed to stray away from the optimal? And the answer is absolutely yes, but you have to do it with a plan. I did a portfolio weekly series a couple weeks ago and talked about this exact concept. It is okay to stray away from the roster construction, but have a plan and have a plan that you're being true to yourself with. Because a lot of times people will say they have a plan, but I've gotten on these did it calls. I've done roster reviews where I will ask somebody point blank. Why are you rostering that player? And immediately I will know based on their response or just how they're responding to the question. Now, it's more pertinent in a lineup league if you're talking wide receivers or tight ends, for instance. But I'll ask somebody in a lineup league, why are you rostering Xavier Hutchinson? And there might be a little bit of a pause or I'm not sure or I, I liked his college profile. But immediately, those type of answers or an answer where I don't get something right away 
generally there isn't a reason to have that player on your team. There isn't a plan. Now, if immediately you say, I'm rostering Andre Yoshivas because the second T. Higgins moves on or gets franchise tagged and they say he's not going to play this year or it might be a problem of him holding out if he doesn't get a long-term contract or rumors that he could be traded after he gets tagged, any of those, and you're telling me I'm flipping Yoshivas for a third, as soon as that happens, that's going to be my plan? I have no problem with holding him as a roster clogger receiver if you have a plan. But I will say most people, when it comes to the back half of their dynasty roster, especially in a lineup league, but we'll talk best ball here in just a second, they don't have a plan. They just haphazardly have players. And you ask, well, why do you have that player? And you can't answer. So that is the biggest thing, is going through and asking yourself, why do I have these players? And it could just be as simple as, I'm holding these backup quarterbacks because of my roster construction strategy. They fit the number. And if they don't end up always fitting the number down the road when things change, that's okay. But at least be able to answer the question, for the most part, for most of the players on your team, why do you have them? You should have an answer. So that's the answer to the question of, can I stray from my optimal roster construction? Sure, if you have a plan. If you sit there and go, you know what, I'm going to be a little bit lower at tight end or a little bit lower at this position or a little bit above at this position because I have a plan of going and doing this before we get to the season. So understanding that is huge. Don't take these numbers as you have to be there because I have had people come to me and say, I'm trying to get the optimal roster construction. My numbers are off. What should I do? Should I panic? Should I be making this move now? And the answer is not exactly. You don't have to worry about it to that degree as long as you have a plan. There are teams that their distribution of assets is not perfect from a construction standpoint, and that's okay. I've seen teams that have very tight construction. Maybe they have three top 10 tight ends. Maybe they don't have enough of these quote-unquote threshold receivers. You know, maybe they have four QBs that all have locked in jobs that have some value, but they haven't find the right time to move a guy like Daniel Jones or Derek Carr. And that's okay. But as long as you have a plan and say, well, if I can't get a value deal where I just gouge the other person, I'm just going to hold. I'm just going to hold. That's one of the old excuses in the book. I'm going to hold until I get the price that I want. But what you're foregoing is some of the extrinsic value of actually getting a deal that moves your roster in a more optimal direction. And that is the push and pull that I think a lot of people struggle with is they think the value on paper or what they expect in their mind isn't being met. So they're forced to stray away from roster construction and they're forced to do it almost indefinitely. Because here's an interesting concept that we don't talk a lot about. If you do a brand new league and your league allows you to, let's say, hoard all the starting quarterbacks, what is the assumption that you make when you do that? What is the assumption you make when everybody in your league doesn't value some of the mid-tier threshold receivers that you do? And you just hoard all those QBs. You hoard all those receivers. And you're sitting here thinking, well... It's May when I'm doing this startup. No one really values those rookie picks exactly as high as I do. 
Nobody values those QBs the way that I do. So I'm going to get so much value. I'm going to draft six starting quarterbacks. I'm going to go with 11 threshold receivers and just wait. Just give it some time. The market will flip. My league mates will flip. Realize that they should have been taking some of those players. They didn't, and now they need to come through me. Think about that construct. How many times have you seen people try that in leagues? And it doesn't even have to be in a startup. It can be a team that's already strong that goes, hey, you know what? I'm going to continue to hoard all those quarterbacks in the rookie draft and just see what happens. Now, most likely, and I've seen this play out many, many times in leagues, the league is not that they're allowing you to do that because there may be just draft picks or value picks that you have that they can't stop. But a lot of times, that type of circumstance exists for a reason. So to think you do a startup in May and by October, everybody is going to be coming to you, begging you for a quarterback to the point where you are so able just to take advantage and get whatever you want from those teams. It's a pipe dream. In fact, it may be the opposite. When people see that you're doing that, they may be more resistant to play ball with you because they don't want to give in. By nature, people are stubborn. And they already decided it was okay for you to have all those assets before. So to think that the game, the distribution, the demand for those assets is going to change so quickly that in six months, you're going to have the quarterback megastore that everybody has to come in and pay, probably not going to happen. And here's the final thing. When somebody does that, generally the person that is hoarding overestimates the leverage that they have. They will say, I have six starting quarterbacks. Those three other teams over there have zero or one. So what do they need to do? They need to overpay. They need to come through me to get those quarterbacks. A, they may not even want to pay. They may just say, you're stuck with them. Good luck. But B, the last thing they're going to be willing to do is overpay. In fact, what I've noticed is in a 12-team league, teams are more likely just to say, I don't care about this year. I'll punt this year, which means I'm not in a hurry to buy your Brock Purdy or your Tua Tagovailoa or your Dak Prescott. Go ahead, sit on them. I'm willing to push my team in a direction to where I don't even care about that. So you've now lost a buyer because that team is so bad at quarterback that they just go, I'm not even going to care about this year. I'm just going to tank. Now that can be good for you. It's one less team that's in the way. But a lot of times the person that has hoarded, the person that has all the excess, they also overvalue that leverage that they have. And they're not even willing to make a fair deal, a reasonable deal, an extrinsic value deal. With that person, they're going, I have six quarterbacks. You have one. My team's better than yours. Here's what I need. I need 20% more than market for that Dak Prescott or you ain't getting them. And then what ends up happening? You have the six quarterbacks on your team all year, all season. You hold them. That's great. You have the quarterback market strangled until the next off season. And then the market resets a little bit. Maybe it gets a little softer on three of the six quarterbacks that you have. You have a brand new crop of rookies coming in. Okay. 
those teams that tanked or punted and said, I'll just give up on this year before I pay 30% more than market for your Dak Prescott. Things are reset now. The market on some of the QBs that you might have has changed. So all of a sudden, you've lost that window of time where you did stray from roster construction. You didn't take advantage of the window. And I know I'm going on on a rant. I haven't even talked about running backs yet in best ball. But I think this is one of those circumstances where you have to be cognizant of when you have an excess. You have to have a plan. What is the timing on that plan? When is it going to get executed? It can't just be you meet my price or it never gets executed. Because then you're hurting yourself. You're outside of your construction and you're probably saying, well, I'm just going to hoard until somebody comes to me. So you have to think about that. If you're going to stray, long-winded way of saying, if you're going to stray away from your roster construction, especially to the extremes where you're going way above or way below, you have to have a plan of start to approach getting back to baseline. You have to have the plan to start moving back to that range. Because if not, you're actually hurting yourself the longer that you wait. So let's get into running backs. Running back episode, how to build a running back room in a best ball league. We have 30 roster spots to play with. I already allocated five to tight end. Now, running back's interesting because the curious thing about running backs in best ball is there's two dynamics at play. One, there is the scarcity of how many running backs have roles on a weekly basis where you're not at risk of taking a zero. That is the very first concern that I have when I'm building a running back room. And people that have played best ball redraft tournaments also understand this concept. If you've consumed any content about underdog or DraftKings or FFPC or wherever you play underdog tournaments, you've probably heard this concept. You've seen this be very popular over the last couple years of get your running backs early. You still generally want to go slim at running back, but there's a reason that that number is usually slim, and it's because it's difficult to get a certain number of running backs after the ones that have roles. And I should rephrase that in a better way. It's hard to get running backs that have roles, and after that it's very hard to predict the ones that are going to have roles because a lot of times that is dependent on situations, winning jobs, injuries is a huge part of it at running back. You know, how many times is a guy in best ball underdog redraft that's not even rostered and you look up week 10, they're smashing. But nobody drafted them because they were two levels away from usable back when the drafts happened. And instead of drafting that guy and saying, I know that's one of 30 players in that range that's going to have two injuries ahead of them where they're usable, they don't even get drafted. Now, Dynasty, it's a little bit different because you do have some wiggle room. But ultimately, the focus is still trying to knock my running backs out a little bit earlier so that I have kind of that foundation or that base. So what does that number look like? If you look at the war graph, you will see that the running backs, obviously at the very top, and this isn't a shock. I think everybody kind of knows this. The elite players pretty much at every position are going to be up in the three plus war range. And that goes for all four positions, even the tight ends. The top couple tight ends are up there. The top three or four quarterbacks are up there. The top four or five receivers are up there. And then you'll find a couple running backs up there. Three-year average war has four running backs that are above 2.5 war. And again, I'm using the Destination Devi war tool. So the number doesn't matter as much. 
but more so relative to each other, it matters more. So if you're using the numbers relative to this tool, you know, two and a half compared to where some of the other numbers are, it means something. But outside of that, you'll see the numbers start to dip. And this has been historically true about running backs. And it, it actually is reflected here right when you get to about RB, let's call it RB. Eh, really, it's kind of flat from like RB6 all the way down to RB20. Not a massive gap. 2.04 at RB6. And then it dips down, kind of progressively goes down to right about Point one or one more at RB20. But there's that sweet spot range where you will notice that it kind of stays flat from, let's just call it RB6 to RB20. It's not perfectly flat, but there's not a huge slope. Of the four positions uh, in that range, it is the one that slopes the least. And that is kind of like the core running back range where in lineup leagues, you would call this the dead zone. You would call this the man, these guys don't have a lot of upside, but they're probably valued in a range where they're going to get a lot of touches or they're going to get a lot of targets or whatever it might be, but they're valued in this range because they probably have a perceived large workload, guaranteed workload. Now, in lineup leagues, I don't necessarily care about that because I can replace those guys in that flat war range generally very easy. This is the concept of you know, the hero RB or zero RB. It works in a lineup league because you're playing a week-to-week game. You don't have to worry about the guaranteed workload. You don't have to worry about the floor because it's a week-to-week game and you still have to set your lineup with two starters. So you can get away with kind of fading this range in a lineup league, presumably because the players have a lot more market value versus some of the just true backups that, haphazardly could be in your lineup in any given week because they're going to be projected to get opportunity. So think about lineup running back strategy. The reason I'm doing running back second here is because you can almost take the lineup strategy and flip it. Literally do a 180, and that's where the core of your best ball running back strategy starts. At the top, do I still want to get RB1, 2, 3? Yeah, those guys are elite regardless of the format. Those are the ones I want in a lineup league. Best ball leagues, if you can get them, there's still going to be enough of a difference to where it can kind of shift the numbers below that. But when you go below that, because only a couple people are going to have access to the elite, elite running backs. But after that, how do I build a running back room? What's the number and how do I get there? So for me, what I'm probably trying to do in Dynasty is of those, let, let's just expand it out to top 24. Because that's really where the war line stays, about 0.75 or above. So it's pretty flat. So let's just say top 24. Look at this as very similar to wide receivers in lineup leagues. What do I say about wide receivers in lineup leagues? Find the threshold and try to get as many wide receivers within that threshold. And if you can do that, you don't need to have any below it. Makes your decisions easy. You don't waste a lot of roster spots on wide receivers that are on the fringe or are below the threshold because you're not going to know when to play them. It's similar to running back in best ball. So pick the range. For purposes of this, we could probably go as far down as RB30-ish. 
you know, if you're talking this 12 team start 11, 1.75 PPR with, with no other scoring. So the running back contribution as a whole is generally a little bit lower, not nearly as high as wide receivers, but let's just call it top 30. Let's, let's be a little more liberal on that. I know last year on the best ball roster construction series, we wanted to try to get all our running backs inside that top 40 ish range, but let's just say top 30 for purposes of this. Cause I think this is easier said than done. Uh, definitely easier than saying, I want to get every running back on my roster inside that top 40. Cause you don't need to do that. You do not need to build a running back room with seven running backs inside the top 40 right off the rip. Now that's probably my number. The number is probably around seven running backs. Now, how do I get there? So let's take this flat range of running backs, which you would call the RB dead zone in lineup leagues. And let's assume that I want to try to get four players in that range. Should be doable. You know, let's assume that's the top 30 running backs. There's 12 teams in my league. Average of two and a half per team. I want to aim for four. Now, why four? Well, if I know that my total number, I eventually want to get to seven. If I can get more than four, then fine. But probably the cost of getting those four is a little more than I want to pay. Because that's the other thing. I don't want to invest a lot of value in running back. That's the beauty of this. We've already pretty much accepted that at the running back position in Dynasty, value is irrelevant. There's value in Bijan Robinson. There's value in Jameer Gibbs, Brees Hall, Jonathan Taylor, Devon Achain, maybe. After that, though, we've kind of accepted that all the running backs like below that range, they're year-to-year bets. Now, are some better than other bets to last more than one or two years? Sure. But I think it's generally accepted that the position is so volatile. I'm not really concerned that if I draft Rashad White in a startup, I'm not really concerned, like, is he going to hold his value to next year? You know why he's going to hold his value? If he's good. You know when he's not going to hold his value? If he's bad or he gets injured. And that's true if the guy's 22 years old, 23 years old, 27 years old, or 28 years old. And that's the beauty of this range is in this range exists a lot of older players that you should be able to add without having to pay the prices of Ken Walker, Rashad White, those types. And when you abandon that principle that I don't care about the value or equity that I'm holding on my roster at running back, you can easily achieve this trying to grab four running backs or so in this range. So let's call it four top 30 running backs. This is going to be my base. These are going to be my guys where I can go into the season and say 15 opportunities a game or more. I have some sort of projectable floor of opportunity. Now I'm not even measuring their upside. I'm not even measuring their ceiling. I don't care about that. In best ball, I don't care generally about using war to try to win my league at running back. That's not how I look at it. When you look at these war graphs, your running backs generally are not winning your league. They can lose your league because the floor of what you get from them is way lower than some other teams. But I'm not looking at running backs going, these are going to win my league. I just want to keep up with the Joneses. That's the nature of the scoring of the position. And in best ball, I don't have to worry as much about the ceiling. The ceiling will come just randomly with touchdowns. So I'm not as worried about that, but I want to get a floor. I want to keep up with the Joneses at running back by getting a base. Let's call it four running backs in this range. 
Now, because the position is volatile, and this is something that I've changed since last year, because again, last year on our best ball roster construction series, we talked about trying to find like seven running backs, eight running backs in the top 40. That's very hard to do, nor do I want to use my assets to go and do that unless the market is just so bottomed out that I can. And it's possible with the running back position. But what I found in best ball is because people kind of understand the need to get guaranteed touches or get a floor of opportunity, they generally will value enforce or at least the, the median values of running backs are generally higher. Meaning everyone's kind of abandoned the fact that dynasty value doesn't exist, but Hey, everybody wants to get a floor of touches. So it's a little harder just to go say, I- I'm going to go buy that Derrick Henry. I'm going to go buy that Joe Mixon. Like someone will actually value those guys in best ball generally a little bit higher because they want to lock in those guaranteed touches. So how do I fill out my running back room? And this is what's key. Right off the rip, if you're doing a new best ball startup in March, April, May, you don't need your seven running backs now. What you need to have is, again, a plan. That's been the theme of today's show, hasn't it? Plan. You need to have a plan of how to fill out that running back room. This is something that I underestimated definitely my first year playing best ball dynasty, but even the last two years playing best ball dynasty, I have underestimated the week to week variance that exists in best ball. Now in lineup, I already know this. I've been playing this way for years in lineup, but in best ball, I didn't really appreciate it because I looked at players that might only get two starts a season as I don't really want those guys in best ball. Yeah, because they're going to be zeros for those other 15 weeks. They're not really going to have a purpose on my team. I'd rather fill those spots out with something else, which we'll talk about in future episodes, but I really don't want to roster those types. But what I underestimated is how many weekly opportunities because of this idea of I don't want to roster those guys, how many opportunities there are to actually fill out my RB5, 6, 7, maybe 8, with guys that just have random roles. And they are more available because of the construct of running backs in best ball. Now, in lineup leagues, they're never going to be available unless you buy them. You're going to have to pay a second, a third. You're going to have to go buy them from somebody if you want those spot start running backs. And why is that? Well, because in lineup leagues, what are we doing? Hoarding them all. You know, my roster construction series in lineup, hey, I want to probably carry nine running backs. Any running back on a 53, all it takes, five or six managers in your league thinking somewhat similarly, boom. There's 90 running backs rostered across the league. Well, you're not getting many of them. You're going to have to pay for them. Now, everyone should have enough to go around, but the point is you have to buy them. Best ball, what I've found is because people construct differently, if we're looking at 30-man rosters here, There are weekly running backs available. Hell, probably at least one or two a week where you may be able to squint and say, that guy's going to get some opportunity. He can be my RB7. He can be my RB8. If I choose to go out to eight, I said the sweet spot number is seven. That's probably dependent on having those four fairly high quality guys. But the opportunity to get those last few typically is more available in best ball because people will look at a player and say, Ah, Deontay Foreman, for instance, he's the RB3 on the Bears last year. I don't really want to roster him going into the season. Now, quickly, you're going to realize, okay, he's going to have maybe a bigger role than that. So as soon as he does, he's probably going to stay on a roster for the rest of the year. Now, sometimes a guy will go from nowhere 
to, wow, he should be on a best ball roster, but then the role fades and he'll stay on the best ball roster, which again is a mistake because people will go, well, he might happen again. He might get another shot. So I'm going to take those five zeros until maybe he gets that other shot, but you're taking five zeros. So the nature of it, that the sharper your league mates are at constructing in best ball, the more opportunities there should be for everybody to be able to kind of backfill with a running back or two on waivers on a weekly basis. Now, what do you want to pay? How badly do you need them? All of that stuff's week to week dependent. But the idea that you need to lock in all your running backs before the season because, well, a couple of them get to get injured. You want to have enough to get by. I overestimated that. I way overestimated, especially if you're in a league where the running back market is still soft. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a perfect example. That was one where even in some dynasty leagues last year, 32-man roster dynasty leagues, there were times and pick him up. So think about that. That's a type of player that as soon as he got in there, he had a couple big games. And as soon as he had those big games, well, he's going to stay on a roster. And then what? A zero, a zero gets injured. Still a zero. We got to hold him though. Got to hold him as one of those spots in the week. But if you think about that type of player, that should generally be available week to week, whoever it is, somebody that you can project to have some sort of floor of opportunity or touches. So that's, the running back building in a nutshell in best ball. You do want to lock in a floor. You want to lock in, I don't know, call it a thousand touches locked into your lineup. And that's very general. You know, that's an average of maybe 250 opportunities, not touches, 250 opportunities across those four core running backs that you lock up. But the rest can be flexible, especially if you have some extra picks, especially if you have maybe an extra quarterback. We'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about quarterbacks uh, in best ball and how to build it. Because it's very similar. If you think about the roster construction series for lineup that I did, go back and listen to the running back and the quarterback episode. And think about the theory of those. Hoard every quarterback, hoard every running back. Backup QBs, backup running backs. Then if you take to heart what I said before I started this show, that it's almost the opposite in best ball, what should that mean? It should mean there should be available backup running backs, backup quarterbacks. There should be opportunities to essentially get those short-term placeholders in best ball for free. So think about that when you're constructing. So I still think the magic number is probably seven. It could be eight. Just like with tight ends, I said it could be four, five, or six. Running backs, it could be probably six, seven, or eight. But let's call it seven just for purposes of the math for the show, seven running backs. I want there to be a core. Call it top 30, top 36. Essentially, you need to lock in four guaranteed running backs that have some workload, a projectable opportunity floor. And then continue to use kind of the week-to-week market or the value market. Hell, you might have four good running backs, and then you see one that comes available, and you go, someone's willing to sell James Conner for two-thirds. Okay, perfect. That goes over that four. That's okay, though. You got a good deal on it. But use that market volatility. Use the fact that the position doesn't have a lot of value as a whole, and be willing to kind of play that flexibly in those other spots. 
So that's my strategy in best ball. You do need to lock in a floor again. If we're using this format specifically and run the war, if you're in a best ball league, run the, run the war, look at what the scoring looks like relative to the other positions at running back in this format. If you run the war on the 12 team start 11, 30 man rosters, 1.75 tight end premium, you're not winning your league with running backs. Just because you have enough of them, you are not winning. You are keeping up with the league. You're just trying to stay afloat at the running back position because the war is low relative to quarterback and wide receiver. So that's not winning you your league, but it's losing you your league if you don't have that floor. So that's the strategy. Seven is the number. You want to lock in a floor. You probably want to get them earlier than later just because that's where a lot of the projectable opportunity floor players exist. It's the same in redraft. It's the same when you go into some of these underdog drafts. I know it's half PPR there, so the war's a little different, but you will see people lock in a couple early running backs. They'll go three running backs in the first four or five rounds with the goal, probably not taking that many more. They're essentially doing what we're doing in this, but they don't have the dynasty component of being able to supplement with a buy here, a buy there. I'll add one later in the season. They're basically saying, give me my four, maybe give me my five, and I'm done. And I'm going to build a lot of teams that way. And some of them, the running back room that I build with four running backs is going to get destroyed. Two weeks into the season, two of the four are absolutely gone. By the end of the year, you may not have one standing. And that's possible. You know, that's the volatility of a redraft tournament where there's no waivers, there's no trades, nothing. But you want to go as slim as possible there because guess what? Everybody has to go as slim as possible there. Your opponent can't make a trade. Your opponent can't pick somebody up off waivers. So I'm going to the lowest common denominator. So if you take that strategy, you apply it to Dynasty, that should be the base in Dynasty. But we have the ability in Dynasty to make a trade midway through the summer. Make a trade during the season. Add a running back off waivers. So you can kind of use that extra couple spots as the way to get to that seven number. So seven's the magic number. It's an interesting concept. You have to change the running back approach in best ball. We get some best ball questions on trades in five, and everyone knows Shane and I's approach to running backs. But that's generally talking through a lens of a lineup league. That's usually looking through the lens of a lineup league where we go, uh, we don't need to hold a lot of running back value on our roster and somebody else can buy it because I only have to start two and I can roster construct and backfill in a way where trading away Najee Harris isn't a big deal. But best ball, it's not necessarily the case. You have to look at it through a different scope. So hopefully that is helpful to everybody. We're through two episodes now. Tight ends, we're at five. Running backs, we're at seven. So that leaves us 18 roster spots to go through and talk about wide receivers and quarterbacks. Uh, we'll probably do quarterbacks for the next episode, only because I want to save wide receivers for last, because uh, it's the most interesting to me. And it's one of those where you kind of have to talk through more of the layering of your receivers. Everyone knows in best ball, you're going to roster a lot of receivers. But what does that look like? How many of the core receivers do I want? How many of the just random bodies do I need? How often do I turn those over? I've talked about that in the past, but that's what I'm really going to dive into with the wide receiver episode. So seven running backs is the magic number. Let me know if you have any feedback on this. Again, this is my third year of playing best ball portfolio. I've played best ball for a while, but it's only my third year in going through and really building a portfolio of teams. So I've only had basically two years of best ball seasons to live through this scope. 
So even I'm a little bit of a novice at best ball. Lineup, I'm a lot more comfortable. I've done it for years in terms of roster constructing and thinking about things like this. But best ball, I've only have a couple seasons under my belt where I've experienced the ebbs and flows and the differences in the markets and all of those things. So if you have any feedback, let me know. I think this is a growing segment of the dynasty space. Uh, a lot of people like playing best ball dynasty exactly for this reason, because it is more about team building. You can still trade. There's still a lot of the components that you like about dynasty, but the lineup part, you don't have to worry about. So if you're really into team building, I would encourage people uh, to try a best ball dynasty league. It's different. It's just different. I was a pushback. I pushed back on it early on. Ah, man, you're losing your edge if you don't have to set a lineup, but it's just a different game. So appreciate a different game. As I've gotten older, as I've been in this space for a long time, I actually appreciate different games. Even if it's not what I want to play, that's okay. If you want to play in a one QB, start eight. If you want to play in a massively deep best ball, it doesn't matter. Play what you want to play because there is a theory and a strategy that you can develop, develop around it. So if you have any feedback, let me know. Uh, check out everything over at DestinationDevy.com. You can sign up at Patreon.com backslash all gas. Join the Trades in 5 tier, the Destination 5 tier, or the Heisman tier on either the website or the Patreon. You get access to bonus content inside the Discord, Discord shows, Discord streams, Discord mock drafts, a lot more if you're in that Discord channel. Uh, and again, stay tuned for War Games. An announcement on some sort of schedule will come out fairly soon. Uh, but at minimum, you're going to get some War Games episodes here coming up looking at, if you like the Best Ball roster construction series, uh, we're going to talk through war and a lot of Best Ball talk. Uh, that's one of the things Ray and I are going to do on the series is go through some of these Best Ball tournaments that we're going to be playing and how we roster construct with war. So even though it's redraft, uh, it'll help you with some of the principles in your Dynasty Best Ball League. So hopefully everybody enjoyed this series. Uh, trades in five every Tuesday night, 8.30 to 10 Eastern time. Tuesday nights on the Dynasty Trades in 5 channel. All the other content at Trades in 5 as well. And then finally, uh, still using Did It. Uh, Did It's changed its terms uh, to where you get $25 off your first call. So basically, you get a free 10 minutes to talk through your roster construction with me. If you want to set up a Did It call, download the Did It app on iOS or Apple. Uh, get Did It is the Twitter handle. You can check out everything they have over there. Download the app, message me. Um, I have times time slots booked that you can set up a quick call uh, can last as long as you want, but you get the first 10 minutes or $25 free. So if you want to set those up, download the app, message me on the app. Uh, we can set up a time uh, to do the call. And finally, looking forward to going to the senior bowl. I leave on January the 29th. So that week will be a little hit or miss with some of the content. Not sure how many did it calls I'll be able to do uh, when I'm down in mobile, but they can resume uh, once I get back in the first week of February. So with that, Appreciate everybody. Hope you enjoyed part two of the roster construction series, part three and part four coming up very soon. And I will go ahead and sign off. Be chill. There's a rumor going down about me and you. Stirring